0: The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who, and today we're discussing the 14th Doctor story, Liberation of the Daleks, and the Children in Need special for 2023. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stike. Hey, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well, Thanks. Folks, be sure to stick around to the end of the episode where we will have your listener feedback on some of our recent episodes that we've had. And uh, also, I want to encourage you to follow The Secrets of Doctor Who in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, your favorite podcast app, or watch us on the StarQuest YouTube channel where you should make sure to hit the bell to get notifications. And we're at youtube.com slash StarQuestMedia. And finally, before we get started, I want to tell you about another show on the Star Quest Network you are sure to enjoy called The Secrets of Middle-Earth. You can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Middle-Earth. All right, we are going to be discussing a 14th Doctor story. We should probably, before we get into it, preface it by how can we be discussing be discussing the a 14th Doctor story <laughs> when the specials haven't even aired yet. Uh. Jimmy, I think you brought this one to my attention, right?
1: Yeah. um, So Doctor Who magazine is a publication in England that uh, carries Doctor Who comics, and it often has comic stories featuring the Doctor running between seasons of Doctor Who. So between Power of the Doctor, which is when Jodie Whittaker's Doctor regenerated into David Tennant's 14th Doctor. It's still been going on. And so just like they continue to have Patrick Trouton stories before uh, in season 6B in the comic books before John Pertwee was cast, we have a 14th Doctor story here before the 14th Doctor makes it onto television. And this story is actually considered canonical because Russell T. Davies supervised it. It takes over it. It takes place over the course of one hour of the Doctor's life. It's 14 parts long in the comics. And it leads up to the uh, Children in Need special, which is the 14th Doctor's first appearance on television, other than the post-regeneration scene that we saw mm-hmm. at the end of Power of the Doctor. So the, there's a sequence from Power of the Doctor to Liberation of the Dialects to the Children in Need special to the first of the 14th Doctor specials, the Star Beast.
0: Excellent. Thank you. Yeah, and this... uh Fourteen part strip was started in like the December twenty twenty two issue, and the last mm-hmm. p- bit is in the December twenty twenty three issue. Now mm-hmm. we're not going to be just discussing what is was in the pages of the magazine because an enterprising Doctor Who fan uh, put together the all of the comics in a very uh, uh I was going to say very technically astute way on their uh, YouTube channel. Uh, with music and no narration you got to read it but it's Mm -hmm. very well done like a lot of the modern Mm um um i like um tablet comic strips
1: it's a motion comic so it's it's a comic that incorporates elements of motion
0: right Mm -hmm. right yes thank you uh and it it creates a sense of the drama that's in the story So, so uh the the medium is very very interesting um and it that it was about an hour long i think the 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 video yeah. that he it was made. an hour yeah.
1: hour
2: and 16 minutes long uh, yeah. originally he
0: did each strip as they came out
2: so he had mm. different you know he had 13 or was it 14 part comic so he did 14 different uh, videos and then when the last one was released he just this last week packaged them all as one full story okay and it I, and i i found it flow, flowed very well i was mm-hmm. kind of uh a little worried about okay you got to sit and read everything uh, but it actually, I found it to work very, very well. He did a good job of bringing up the, you know, the text bubbles and everything. As the story progressed, you know, it wasn't static. It wasn't just like this scene, then this scene, then this scene. It was very static and he did a good job. Like you said, Dom, you know, moving things around, making yeah. it, you know, fluid. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I thought would have been kind of interesting is if he had uh, then went and used some of the voice AIs to at least do the doctor's voice and maybe <laughs> the Daleks. I think that would've been kind of fun too to yeah. to have those voices added on. And and maybe maybe he will in the next version, who knows. Yeah, yeah. It was impressive how he handled the cuts between stories
1: because in the final version it's very seamless. Mm -hmm. Um, you can kind of tell where some of the cuts between stories or breaks between stories occurred or breaks between chapters occurred because it's like, okay, here, oh, this would make a good cliffhanger, wouldn't it? And, oh, here's a little bit of a recap of the story so far. But other than
0: that, it was very seamless. So, uh, with that said, we should probably get into the discussion of the story itself. And Jimmy, can you give us a recap of what happens?
1: This week, immediately after the regeneration of the 13th Doctor, the 14th Doctor finds himself answering a distress call in the TARDIS. He emerges in what seems to be London in 1966, which was Britain's first winning of the World Cup but he encounters aliens pretending to be humans and while he's talking to them a huge dalek ship appears in the sky and begins an invasion a woman named georgie gold gives the doctor a world cup soccer trophy and he puts it her in the tardis to keep her safe from the dalek attack it oddly turns out that the doctor is immune to dalek ray weapons which he shouldn't be he scans them and determines that the daleks are all identical on the molecular level which means that they aren't real daleks they're identical Xerox copies of of some Dalek. But the Daleks insist that they are real and blow up the Earth to prove it. A group, uh, a couple of gorillas in spacesuits grab the doctor and teleport him to safety, and a very confused doctor then learns that he hasn't been on the real Earth in 1966. So, phew, Earth didn't get blown up in the 60s. Uh, Instead, he's in the Dalek Dome, a futuristic amusement park that has domes representing different worlds and periods. Each dome has an adventure involving fake Daleks that tourists can participate in and enjoy. A high official in the Dalek Dome is a woman named Georgette Gold, and she's an identical copy of the Georgie Gold the doctor met a few minutes earlier, or rather, Georgie Gold is a copy of Georgette Gold. Georgie, like all the fake Daleks, is made of psychopaths a malleable substance that all the fantasy characters in the Dalek Dome are made of. The doctor is horrified by there being a Dalek-themed amusement park, and he's even more horrified when he learns that the leaders of the fake Daleks are mentally tied to actual Dalek mutants that the park officials have in isolation tanks in the lower levels. And one of the actual Dalek mutants is waking up and becoming self-aware. However, the psychoplasm is only stable inside of the holodeck or er, domes. And when the wakeful Dalek leader and his minions come out of a dome, the Doctor keeps them talking long enough for their psychoplasm bodies to destabilize and melt. Unfortunately, Georgie Gold sees this and realizes that she will melt also, so she goes to the Skaro Dome and makes a deal with its Golden Emperor Dalek. She has footage of the Doctor saying it might be possible to stabilize her on the quantum level, and she proposes an alliance with the Daleks to get the Doctor to reveal how, so that all the psychoplasm life forms can become real and continue living outside the domes. That is the liberation of the Daleks from the title. To force the doctor to reveal what he knows, the Daleks exploit a psychic link between Georgie Gold and Georgette Gold to hypnotize all of the park patrons, and the Daleks say they will begin executing them as hostages unless the doctor reveals what he knows. The doctor does end up revealing that it's possible to stabilize their psychoplasm forms, but the Daleks would need to create a massive reality gate to fly through to stabilize their molecules, and they'd have to have billions of genius mathematicians to do the calculations needed. The Golden Emperor isn't phased, and he has the system create a new moon for Scaro filled with billions of genius mathematicians. They do the calculations, and a reality gate begins to be constructed in orbit. But when Georgie Gold realizes that the Daleks only want to stabilize themselves and will let her and all the other psychoplasm forms die— She turns on them. She breaks the hypnotic link and frees all the hostages, and the Daleks shoot her dead for her act of betrayal. The Doctor reveals that there's another problem, which is that the Daleks will need more Psychoplasm than they have available to finish the ships they need to fly through the Reality Gate, but the Gold Emperor says they will simply drain Psychoplasm from the other domes in the complex. The Doctor then teleports between domes and starts a civil war among the Daleks by letting their leaders know what the Gold Emperor is planning. The Doctor then gets aboard the Gold Emperor's ship and crashes it into the mat into the mathematician moon, causing their calculations to stop. This ends the threat, but it leaves the Dalek mutants still slumbering in their tanks on the lower levels. Georgette asks the doctor whether they should be allowed to live, and he tells her that now that she's seen what the Daleks are really like, not the sanitized version they showed to the tourists, she should make the decision. The end.
0: Wow, that was like a 14-part, you know, invasion of the Daleks. Of <laughs> yeah, the,
1: I think it's the longest summary I've had to do thus far. They pack a lot into those yeah. 116 minutes.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so overall impressions of the story, uh, Father Corey? I, re-
2: I really enjoyed it. I mean, again, the format was very interesting because it was a comic, you know, and watched the video of it, not read the comic. Um, but it was it was a fun story. It really was. It was, you know, some great, of course, some great callbacks and getting to see the 14th Doctor in action. You know, he picks right up where he left off when he regenerated into Matt Smith. So Mm. it was fun. How about you, Jimmy?
1: Yeah, I enjoyed it also. I particularly liked the way they incorporated elements of earlier Doctor Who comics history, because early on, like in the 60s, there were a bunch of Dalek comics, and they did homages to that in this, in the different Dalek domes. They're based on, at least in part, they're based on older Dalek comic stories. And you get to see cra- like Dalek craft vehicles that were designed for those stories being brought back now all these decades later, and they have some quite visually striking designs. Um, the story is interesting. One of the things I didn't mention in the summary, I did mention that the doctor is teleported away by two gorillas in spacesuits. And I didn't really mm-hmm. explain that the park officials. Some of them are human like Georgette gold, but others are former park workers, because apparently this used to be like a, a nature preserve mm-hmm. and before it was the Dalek Gnome, And so to help business, some of the staff, had species plasties where they were reshaped to look like members of other species. So like the chief is a lion, a couple of the park workers are gorillas. They have park workers who are other like human versions of other animals. They look like the animals, but they have human minds and they're really humans, but they've been surgically altered to look like animals Um one thing that is interesting is, you know, this is a comic book, and it's a tradition in comics to sneak Easter eggs into the background. That started in comics before it started in animation. Mm-hmm. And so if you look carefully, you will, among others in the background, as, as see park patrons
0: Kirk and Spock. I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did see them. I was going to bring that up. <laughs> yep, they're in there. Uh, I didn't see others uh but there there might there's probably others in there. Oh. So yeah. uh for me I mean I felt like this was um it's a cross between Jurassic Park, Westworld and a TNG holodeck episode, yep. <laughs> you know where the holodeck goes wrong. Uh it, it really had that that feel of, you know, the uh, you've created this thing and it's out of control. You've you've tried to turn, you know, this dangerous thing into an amusement and uh, that's a that's a classic trope of science fiction you know again mm-hmm. Jurassic Park and Westworld both um, uh, made those uh, those um, stories uh, so I it was good I, I like it I uh, just to let people know I should have said this off the top we'll put have links to the video of course in the uh, in the show notes on the our website but um, yeah I thought it was an interesting way to Enjoy a Doctor Who story. I I never really had seen the comics, Doctor Who comics before, and uh, I felt like I could see the voice of David Tennant as the Mm Fourteenth Doctor in it. It came it came across as true to the character, so that was a lot of fun too.
1: Yeah, they patterned the dialogue after how David Tennant's Tenth Doctor was written. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, he's he's got one line later on where he's saying goodbye to the Dalek Emperor at the end, at when the emperor has been defeated, and he says, see you later, exterminator.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: <right. laughs> there there were times where I could hear in the back of my mind David Tennant saying the lines. I yeah. Mean, mm-hmm. they, they, they did a good job of that. They really did. Yeah. Now, just kind of a quick question, Jimmy. Do you know if they've mm-hmm. got any of the comics in collections that are available.
1: Yeah. There are various uh, trade paperback collections and electronic paperback collections um, like Kindle editions of various Doctor Who comics. I have I've read the Doctor Who comics going back as far as the 1980s, you know, off and on because I don't have access here in America. um, Right. Regular access. But um, there is going to be a trade paperback and I assume a Kindle edition of these 14 it's just not out yet. It should be out in a
2: month or two or something. Well, it'd be, cool. it'd be fun too to go see how far back you could go if you go back mm-hmm. to the original ones that they've done for like the first or second Doctors. Or I know some of those are
1: available online. Um, in fact, I when we did the War Games, or it may have been uh, Spearhead from Space, I put together a collection of the second Doctor stories between the war mm. games and spearhead head in space. And we put a link to it. So listeners could, could uh, read Excellent. them for themselves right, and see how they explained the doctors re-
0: regeneration that didn't happen on screen. Right. 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 That's true. Uh, I, I found it interesting. You know, this was obviously intended for a British audience. So there's lots of talk in that first part about that world cup game um, mm. references to players and events in the game and things that, that, British soccer fans or football fans would would probably know off the top of their head they like they'd recognize it all so that was kind of fun
1: yeah i i have i have two things working against me here one i'm an american and two i don't know anything about sports ball
0: so (laughs) yeah
1: so this was a whole other world to me i had in the story when georgie gives the doctor this World Cup trophy. I mean, it's she's like she's giving him this golden object. What is this? Mm-hmm. And he refers to it repeatedly as the Jules Rimet. And I'm like, okay, so what's a <laughs> Jules Rimet? I had to look it up. It's the World Cup soccer trophy. Yep. Yeah, yeah,
0: <laughs>
2: exactly. Yeah, I, I'd i recognized it as the trophy, but I didn't know that was the name of it. So that's a learning for me. I'm, I'm learning more about soccer slash international football. But uh, I didn't know that was the name of it, but I'd recognized it when she handed it to him.
0: Everything I know about British football, uh, I learned at Ted Lasso. So no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I used to live with a, uh, a, a buddy of mine who uh, years ago was a big uh, Premier League fan. And so I, I learned plenty about it then. Did you know there's a Bettinelli who plays in uh, uh, British football? Just did mm. to mention that. Mar- Marcus. Mar- Marcus. I think he plays Maybe for Chelsea. Just mention I was kind of surprised that
1: 1966 was the first British victory in the World Cup. But of course, I didn't know how far back the World Cup goes. Turns out it was apparently first played in 1930.
2: So it took the British 36 years to win Mm -hmm. it. And it was, I think, the first time they had the World Cup in Britain.
0: Yeah, at
2: Wembley, which is uh,
0: interesting. So uh, back to the doctor, Uh, I found it interesting that the, the, the Daleks... Have apparently learned not to let the doctor keep talking. I thought that was an interesting point to <laughs> make in there. Uh, if he keeps talking, he's he's probably going to uh, make us, you know, crazy or you know, uh, do something to us. He's, I thought that was
2: fun. He, he's either going to talk himself into his plan or he's going to talk to distract them until his plan gets
0: put into effect. <laughs> either way, it's not good for the Daleks. Right, right. And then you have this. Uh, this time tourist family of aliens who have been uh, so at first, I thought before we knew we were in the Dalek Dome, uh, we I thought, oh, these must be aliens visiting Earth from the future. Uh, but instead, they're just park attendees like they, they, they got mm-hmm. a family yeah. pass to Disney World. And uh, they're, they're not really
1: time tourists because yeah. the the domes are all really in the same time.
0: Right right the doctor calls them time tourists i think at at first and that got stuck in my head Mm -hmm. uh but they're just tourists uh, you know in this amusement park ride which is essentially and Mm -hmm. uh they have uh um they 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 have like social media that they keep posting Mm -hmm. to from you know their selfies which was kind of a fun little distraction future instagram
1: (laughs) yeah and they they look or or twitter um, yeah. And they 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 look happy and as the Daleks are blowing stuff up in the background in their photos. So it's weird. <laughs> yeah. um, and at first, it seems way more sinister than it is, because at first we don't know this is an amusement park. It looks yeah. like these are aliens reveling in scenes of Dalek destruction on Earth with people being killed. Yeah. Um, the, the specific social media platform is E pics with a bunch of X's mm-hmm. and I like how they have recognizable, but alien components to it. So you've got mm-hmm. the picture of the, of the, of the family, you know, in some Dalek scene. And then at the bottom of the picture, you've got showagans, which would be the equivalent of retweets. You know, yep. how many people, how many people have retweeted this or shown it again. And then you've got lervits which would be, which is uh,
0: slang for love it. So that's a like. Yep. <laughs> right. Uh, I also like how telly pics might be a little bit of an Easter egg reference mm-hmm. to telly snaps, which was, uh-huh. yep. you know, the the thing we had for, for so many years of uh, well, and, classic uh, who stories. And, and,
2: yeah. And some of it is actually like the, uh, And the doctor even calls it out like the uh, when you're going on a a ride, uh, Mm -hmm. a theme park ride where you can get the picture as you're going down, you know, you're screaming as you're going down the log flume or something like that. Um, I got got a kick out of the family, too, because it was a a, a typical family. You had the parents. You had the teenage girl that was always on her phone or a scroll in King Arthur's court. Yes. And (laughs) the boy who was excited, but he was getting bored. And, you know, just kind of a stereotypical
0: family. It was great. So the this idea of a Dalek fun zone, you know, like having a amusement park that's full of, you know, uh, Daleks exterminating people. What is the what is the morality or ethics of that sort of thing? I mean, it seems like it's in bad taste.
1: Well, OK, um, I think it's a matter of time. You know, mm-hmm. uh, as time increases, we can we don't have to take things as seriously as we would if if we were really there, mm-hmm. so um, so you know today we could have amusement parks that have you know um, Roman scenes mm-hmm. or um, you Viking know Viking raids, Viking right. raids or things like that. But well, so you know, I was I thought as a comparison, you know, because the Daleks are basically space Nazis. Mm-hmm. Today, this would be like having a Nazi theme park. Yeah, and it's like, okay, yeah, that's distasteful.
0: <laughs> that would be,
1: yeah, yeah. But in 2,000 years, with 2,000 years of distance, you know, okay, a lot of people looked at the Romans like we look at the Nazis. A lot of people looked at the Vikings like we look at the Nazis. Um, so you have enough distance and you don't have to take things as seriously because it's no longer an a threat in active historical memory.
0: Mm. So mm, I think that we is. have
1: to judge things more gently, with more distance. Well,
2: and the other thing too, is these are at least in the, 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 the who canon fictional events, mm-hmm. because this wasn't the Dalek invasion of 2150. This was the Dalek invasion of 1966, which in the doctor who universe didn't happen. And the doctor says your fictional characters based on, you know, children's, children's books. books, right? You know, these events didn't happen in the real world and the real canon of Doctor Who. So there's that aspect, too. It's this is the Hogan's Heroes version of the Daleks mm-hmm. is what this is. You know, so it's a fictional event based on real bad guys. Right. I like that analogy,
1: Father Corey. And the Doctor is kind of being a a shrill Karen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like if someone said, oh, Hogan's Heroes, you could never make fun of World War II, you know, m- camp life. It's like, well,
0: yeah, you can. And Hogan's Heroes did it brilliantly. Yeah, it's a great, great show. (laughs) So, yes, it's one of the best. Um, This actually came up uh, on our Discord, this this, discussion of video game violence. And is it immoral to kill people in video games? And one of the things I could see someone saying is, okay, yeah, I mean, you could go visit and there could be if it's playful, you know, uh, you know, Romans or Vikings or whatever, but this is showing, you know, Daleks murdering people by the, by the, you know, boatload. Mm-hmm. Um, that seems like, that seems wrong. I don't, I don't know. I mean, cause, and I, I guess I would compare it to an immersive video game. You're in the video game. You're, you're seeing, you know, you say it's, you know, call of duty and you're shooting people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't it's, think, yeah, I, I personally, I don't think that's anything immoral about, immoral about, you know, play acting at shooting things, you know, people. Yeah.
1: Not in principle, but I think it can have a morally uh, deleterious effect on people. So if you're Mm -hmm. doing Call of Duty, if I understand that game correctly, you're playing like uh, an American serviceman who is trying to do good in the world Mm -hmm. and he's required to shoot people as part of his job. And so that's okay. That's moral. You know, if you're using if you're using lethal force because you have to. And if you're using lethal, lethal force to accomplish good, okay, that's fine, that's virtuous. But if you're playing Grand Theft Auto mm-hmm. and you're you're a drug dealer who's shooting people for fun, well, okay, that application of lethal force would not be um, would not be licit in the real world, and play acting that part for fun would be much more morally dicey. Right.
0: Mm.
1: Okay. All right. I'd see that. Also, if it's cartoony, like if you're in Super Mario Brothers Death Zone and you're <laughs> shooting people with mushrooms and they just pop, you know, yeah. um,
2: okay, that's uh that's a different thing too. <laughs> that's true. Well and, and the question for this too is is this more like watching a, a show? You know, like if, if someone made a you know an immersive movie. Right. You know, like a, a VR movie or something like that of the Daleks killing people. Cause that's, that's more what this is. The, Cause they're not Daleks. The people who are in yeah. there are observers. And there's, and there's some of them too, where like they show the King Arthur's court where the family is actively fighting the Daleks. Right. Right. That's true. So, I mean, so it, it, that's kind of more of that kind of question too of is this more like a video game or is this more like, again, an immersive movie? You know, someone made an immersive movie where you're, you're, a uh, uh, you know, a German citizen watching the wars of world war, you know, the battles of world war two, that's closer to what this is.
0: Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I I could go with that. I could go with that. So, uh, so some other notes on the, just what happens in it. I note that I noticed that uh, the first doctor's brain machine shows up in this. I forget exactly where mm-hmm. it was. It was near closer to the end than mm-hmm. to the beginning, but that machine where, um, now it's like a
2: supercomputer yeah,
0: yeah it was like the first doctor that was a nice little easter egg in there uh also note that the uh the doctor jumps through all like a whole bunch of scenes of places where he's encountered the daleks before in various stories so that was a nice little uh easter egg too so i thought those were those were pretty fun um so uh any other things you guys want to bring up about that you notice in this story you want to mention well one one
2: thing to mention is the, the psychoplasm is the flesh from rebel flesh. It is the same stuff. Oh, and that's the whole issue of Georgie remembering the times that she's gone through this, these stories, right. Where she was in 1966 and she was at, you know, the, the, the the fire of London in 1666 and so on where she remembers all them because the rebel flesh remembers.
0: That was the, an 11th doctor story. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So Uh, that all the psychoplasm,
2: but it's different where, where,
0: they They don't call it flesh yeah Yeah. but they
2: they actually they you know they they, they, the doctor says something about you know evil the daleks made flesh or whatever or you know uh memories made flesh or whatever it is you know but he uses that word flesh yeah that's a purpose i'm sure that was a purpose callback to this story now the difference is in rebel flesh they could exist in the real world and i don't think they ever really explained that there was anything kind of holding them together it's just once they were established they were they were uh they stuck. But in this, they could not st- stay outside of the domes. Right. It's very holodecky. Yeah. yeah right. That, actually, I, I kind of got a chuckle when you had that little Freudian slip in the, the summary. holodeck. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Domes. That was <laughs> more of a Freudian plant. Than a yeah. 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 Then, <laughs> very cool. Uh, anything else? Well, you know, I actually, I'm kind of glad and I hope it doesn't come back. The 13th Doctor's... Uh, sonic screwdriver gets blasted yeah twice. Twice. I, hate, <laughs> I, I hated that screwdriver
0: <laughs> i hope it doesn't come back i hope they give him a nice one yes i agree i agree uh all right and uh Jimmy, how about you? Any other thoughts? So, so I like that
1: uh, at one point a girl is blasting a Dalek with anti-Dalek fluid, and it's just a water pistol. Yes, you know, it's the the water is anti-Dalek fluid. Um, there's a nice bit where the uh, where the Daleks are talking to the doctor about does he have the right to do X, Y, or Z? And the doctor says, oh, you want a moral debate? Great. Call the Archbishop of Canterbury. Let's get a discussion going. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was good.
1: <laughs> and, um, and I also like at, uh, at, at the end, so when, when the Daleks have hypnotized people through Georgie and Georgette, you know, the, they, they respond just like the Daleks do. The Daleks will give them an order. They say, I obey. And then, when um, when Georgie realizes that the Daleks are not going to liberate all of the psychoplasm life forms, just themselves, and then they want to take over the universe, she breaks the hypno link and shouts, I disobey. Yeah. And it's not in context, after seeing so many I obeys, I disobey is is very meaningful and it's her death is a meaningful sacrifice and it's actually touching she says even though she's um you know even though she's an artificial life form who didn't exist before however long ago um she says i guess this time my life actually counted for
2: something yep very nice oh, i forgot one thing there's two song references in here mm-hmm. there's hey there georgie girl which mm-hmm. comes from Georgie Girl. Mm-hmm. And then there's, it's, it's, uh, the, the two gorillas are saying, it's raining galax, hallelujah. And that's, <laughs> it's raining
0: men. Yeah. I remember that. I, just, I remember hearing <laughs> that one. Yeah. Uh, it, the doctor also says, uh, um, why are they attacking a, a soccer game? Uh, no, you know, there isn't a soccer game in history that could could, could have changed history oh. except Christmas 1914. Which is referencing mm-hmm. the famous uh, event on that that Christmas Eve when the, the uh, British and German soldiers left their trenches and uh, sang Christmas carols and played soccer on the No Man's which, Land.
1: Which the First and the Twelfth Doctor were at.
0: Yes, yes. We saw that in uh, Twice Upon a Time, right? Twice Upon mm-hmm. a Time? Yep. Uh, so I got one right. I remembered it. All right. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, anything else we want to say about this story? Nope. nope. Okay, so let's move on to the children in need special, which I don't think had a title, with just children. I in think special. that
1: was it. It'll have one
0: eventually. Yes, uh, and this is a 2023 special. Uh, they do these every year, right? Do they do the children in need charity special? They do uh, a children
1: in need charity special. There's not always a Doctor Who component, right? Right,
0: right. Uh, and it's a it's they, a fundraising sort of telethon thing, and a lot of British TV shows will pro, you know produce a special story or segment or something for it. Um, those of us who are older Americans, uh, you know, in the Gen X age and older may remember the Jerry Lewis telethon, which yep, was the a March of Dimes telethon. Yep.
2: Oh, or, yeah. Another one. Another one.
0: Yeah. So um,
2: when they're all in in Britain, they also used to I don't know if they still do it. The Red Nose special mm -hmm. where that was more comedic. Yeah. And that's where we get the curse of the fatal
0: death. Right. Mm -hmm. That was from the Red Nose uh, specials. Right. Uh, So, Jimmy, could you give us a recap of this brief story? This is a five-minute sketch. It
1: starts with the TARDIS zooming towards planet Skaro, which is actually anticipated. It's hinted at the end of the comic story that the Doctor's next destination may be Scaro, And here we see it is. The TARDIS hurdles towards Skaro. We get an orienting shot in a, in a Khaled bunker or lab of some kind. Davros as an as a he's he's not a young man, but he's not in the wheelchair yet. He doesn't have the third eye yet. He's standing up upright, is mm-hmm. receiving a new aide when his who's very subservient. And they're looking at a Mark three travel case Dalek, although it doesn't have a name Dalek yet. The um, the new assistant is proposing. That since our race are called the Khaleds, maybe our future selves should be an anagram of that, like Ladek. (laughs) and davros is like no and he names like four or five different anagrams of khaled and davros shoots them all down Mm -hmm. um davros is then called away for a minute and while he's out the tardis crashes into the lab (laughs) and snaps off the multi-arm tool that the dalek is equipped with uh doctor the doctor then the 14th doctor then gets out and is shocked and says that's a dalek and the assistant says, ooh, good name. And he writes it down. <laughs> and, and, and the doctor says, says, you know, what are you going to do? He, the, the assistant says, well, you broke this arm. And the doctor's like, what are you going to do? Exterminate me? Oh, exterminate. And he writes that down. <laughs> and the Dalek's putting it together and says, wait, is this the genesis of the Daleks? And the assistant says, oh, this is gold. And he writes that down. <laughs> yeah. And um, the doctor the doctor's about to leave and is saying, look, I was never here. Um, but the guy says, what about the, what about the multi-arm tool you snapped off? And the doctor says, uh, oh, hang on a second. He reaches inside the TARDIS, pulls out a plumber's helper, a plunger, mm-hmm. gives it to the guy and then, um, and then gets in the TARDIS and makes a shushing sound, meaning I was never here and leaves. And then Davros comes back into the room. The assistant has attached the plunger to the Dalek. Davros looks at it and says i like it
0: (laughs) (laughs) the end yeah so um you know this is a very brief story so we don't probably won't have a lot to say about it but uh um i i did i have to before we get into you know anything i have i did write down all the different names Mm he came up with it was lekad adlek clayed (laughs) <laughs> and just the the delivery was so good. I had to laugh at, at all of those. Uh, it was very good. Uh final gray, what did you think of this little story? This
2: was fun. Yeah. This was just so much fun. Um, yeah, it was short, but it was just it was just goofy, kind of campy fun. It was good to see Davros before his accident. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it was good to see uh you know, kind of in you know we we'd heard about the Mark Three travel machine. That's that was I believe that was the name. That Davros used at Genesis of the Daleks, mm-hmm. the original I Tom th- Baker story. I think they may have elevated it to Mark Four. This may Mark be maybe one before the one we saw in Genesis right. of the Daleks. So that 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 goes back to that. There's there's a lot of little callbacks. You know, we'll, we'll get in that here in a second. But yeah, I enjoyed it.
0: Uh, and Jimmy, how would you enjoy this one? Yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was harmless fluff, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, it was our first live action view of the Fourteenth Doctor in action, apart from that one. Regeneration scene. Not what? a lot of right. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <Guess> what? <laughs> Not a lot of uh, regeneration madness. I would say in this one, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, maybe we're going to avoid some of that because we've got to get right into those 60th mm-hmm. anniversary specials. He he did mention an hour ago. I was a brilliant
1: woman, and, yeah. and now I've got these same this same face again, and yeah. that's on screen confirmation for what Russell T Davies has said off screen, which is liberation of the Daleks
2: takes an hour. Yeah, so right. it's basically real time. Yeah, and that that's also a callback to the regeneration of the thirteenth or to the thirteenth doctor, where she's she's in the uh, in the train. She crashes into the train. She goes half an hour ago as a white haired Scotsman.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. right, right, right. That was yeah. Uh, so the new Davros or the new old Davros. Uh, so he doesn't look like the Davros we had been most recently seeing. Um, he's not in the the mobile Dalek half mm-hmm. and no scars and all that sort of thing. Um, I, I bring it up. I don't know if we need to spend a lot of time on it, but Russell T. Davies. Oh, I wanted to talk about this. OK, he makes he makes a big deal out of this. Yeah, <laughs> but I
1: I, I so I watched it not knowing about Russell T. Davies comments on Davros. I just watched it and I thought, oh, great. This is Davros before he has his horrible accident. And I was happy to see him that way. It's a nice we've seen other phases of his life. We've seen him as a child. We've most of the time we've seen him after his accident. Here we see him before his accident. But he's still he's he's clearly an old man here. Um mm-hmm. and I thought it was fine. I enjoyed it. But then Russell T. Davies has to go and say, Oh, this was a deliberate choice because um Davros is a wheelchair user in his classic depiction, and we're not judging any of the people who used to depict him that way, but it's so hurtful to depict mm-hmm. to depict disability in connection with evil. And so this is how we are imagining Davros now. And I'm going, dude, you're limiting your storytelling because there's only so much you can do with Davros before the Daleks you know yeah. um and unless you're 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 basically cutting the Daleks out of the story if you're you're limiting the stories you can tell if you say this is who Davros is now um it's also just ridiculous i would have sympathy if like every or bunches of classic doctor who villains were wheelchair users you know how many are one right,
2: right, that's not establishing some kind of strong, mm. sinister pattern. It, it, you know, it, I was actually kind of hoping we wouldn't talk about it, but mm-hmm. th- we're there. Um, it's interesting because in the interview that you know, it's, it's like a minute and a half of a longer interview with, with Russell T Davies where he talks about this, and all the comments on YouTube are like, I'm a wheelchair user, and this is actually kind of offensive, what you just said. Yeah. You it's know, they're actually like we yeah. can have villains be wheelchair users just as we can have good people be wheelchair users. You know, Patrick Stewart in X-Men, the original X-Men movie mm-hmm. was a wheelchair user. Professor X, you know, he's a good guy. OK, we've got both. You right. know, I mean, you can go through. So it, I, I I'm i just going to say those are Russell T. Davies opinion. Mm-hmm. Canon is this is Davros before the accident. Yeah. That's uh, how I'm leaving it. And <laughs> and
1: and it is it is clearly Davros before the accident. Russell T. Davies opinions. I'm glad to see he got pushback from wheelchair users because it's ridiculous to say you can't ever have a villain that uses a wheelchair. I mean, sure, if you had bunches of villains as wheelchair users, that would set up a negative stereotype. But there ain't one. When I think wheelchair user, I don't think, oh, that person must be a hero or, oh, that person must be a villain. I think, oh, that person is
0: using a wheelchair.
1: So what?
0: Right. Right. I think it's a little patronizing on the behalf of uh, uh, Russell T Davies to, to, to kind of to say that, to make that as reasonable. Yeah. And I, I I'm afraid that he's not even this is going to be well, a prediction, uh, mm-hmm. perhaps. I don't think he's just going to limit himself to Davros before the accident. I think this is if he has to bring in Davros for any story, they're just going to retcon it and just have him be a non you know not confined to a, a, a mobile device um which i think it would be worse Uh, and I, frankly i never thought of it as a wheelchair <laughs> it, it was it mm-hmm. he was like he was half dalek in a sense and i think that was yeah. the idea yep. that was being conveyed so all right so well, well one more one more thing about oh, davros yeah. and this is a
2: good this is a more interesting thing um the actor who played davros in this has played davros throughout new who oh it's the he's same, the same actor? actor that's been in the mobile dalek okay life support device, Travel device. yeah yeah
0: oh, oh that's good that's good um <laughs> so we, we're we're going back to the basically the genesis of the daleks which was a fourth doctor story uh although this is slightly after i think the in the in the no, timeline slightly before oh is it okay oh right yep. right because yep, um, yep, yep. When he goes and sees that's them. where
2: he, that's where the the assistant also wrote down Genesis of the Daleks.
0: Yes, <laughs> uh, and uh, so uh, what we what we're getting in this little story is the Doctor is basically responsible for much of what we know uh, of the most uh, significant factors of the Daleks. We he, he gave him their name and he gave him the plunger, which everyone. Points out as a weird appendage for a, a, a death <laughs> and, machine and, and exterminate, and, yes. and
1: he gave them and, exterminate, and he gave this era of their history the name Genesis of the Daleks. Right,
0: right. Um, I, I do. I think it's funny that that multifunction arm. Was so much better. Like as a as mm-hmm. like a, if you were to design mm-hmm. a Dalek today, that's what you would have instead mm-hmm. of the plunger. Which you know, it's some a, prop guy at the BBC is like, uh, we need something else on this side?" kaplunk <laughs> give yeah. me <him> a plunger.
1: <laughs> There's also another thing. Since we did comics this episode, uh, if you look in some of the Dalek vehicles, they're basically floating hover platforms that an individual Dalek can get on and fly around, mm-hmm. and that overcomes in in the 1960s the limitation of they couldn't show daleks flying on the screen in the mm. 60s um, but in the comics they could give a dalek a hover a hover car that they could pilot around and so they could have three-dimensional verticality threat you couldn't just climb a ladder to get away from them
0: right right uh, one interesting that thing that has come up that uh, Russell D Davies has said speaking of the, it's kind of related to this is we're not going to see Daleks or Cybermen in the 15th Doctors season. He's going to do basically what Chibnall did with the 13th Doctors first season, which was give them a rest and then come back good. to them later. So good. I think uh, that makes sense. Yeah. I don't, I have no burning need to see Daleks
1: or <laughs> Cybermen. Um, right. I, I, you know,
2: there are only so many stories you can tell with them. I like to see them once in a while, but not often. Uh, apparently, the, uh, the the license for the Daleks has changed, so they don't have to have it every year now.
0: <laughs> right, right, yeah. I mean, even with the Thirteenth Doctor, I felt like there was we should have stuck with the fewer fewer Daleks and Cybermen. In the end, they we ended up getting a lot more of them. But uh, yep. that's that. Uh, any other thoughts on this uh, Children in Need special? No, nope, no, nope. enjoyed it. It was fun. Yep, a lot of fun. All right, let's move on to our feedback that I promised. Our first feedback uh, comes from our episode where we discuss the uh, Face the Raven, the 12th Doctor story. Mark Romer on Facebook uh, writes, in Torchwood, retcon was the name of an oral drug that the Torchwood team would give to someone to erase his recent memories. So that's where the reference in this story comes from. So, uh, Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. I I never watched Torchwood,
1: but I'm familiar with where the term originally comes from, which is comic books, where it stands
0: for retroactive continuity. And Torchwood picked it up from there. Yeah, it's clear Torchwood is is getting it from that. And then Doctor Who's getting, getting it as the drug form from there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kathy Romer on Facebook writes, hi, Dom, Jimmy, and Father Corey. I had a sort of crossover comment from the Mysterious World podcast, Theoryland, having to do with the Trap Street. While I realized that this is not the plot point of this Doctor Who episode, I got to thinking about Trap Streets and Tulpas. What are your thoughts, plausibility-wise, assuming that Tulpas are a thing, about a show where someone saw a Trap Street on a map and believed it into existence? I'm guessing there'd have to be some major stressor to induce a person to believe that the street needed to be there. And Anyway, this is the sort of stuff that my brain conjures up while listening to your (laughs) podcast. Thank you for all you do. So, Jimmy, what do you think? So tulpas are
1: um, a kind of entity that is reported in theosophy and originally in like Tibetan Buddhism and things like that. And it, it it's basically a thought form. The idea is that you use your own thoughts to create this mental entity that can even take on a life of its own. And so that's what a tulpa is. I don't know if tulpas are a real thing. Unfortunately, we don't have any tulpas that we can bring into the lab and study in parapsychology. So these are anecdotal <laughs> reports. Um, assuming tulpas are a real thing, uh, yeah, I guess you could have someone mentally conjure up the thought form of a trap street, and it might even take on a life of its own, which reminds me of a character in DC comics. There is in the Doom Patrol, which is about a group of really weird heroes. Um, one of the characters, and it's a really weird comic. Uh, there is a character named Danny the Street and Hmm. Danny is a street. He's, <laughs> an, he's an intelligent street. So if, uh, if you created a thought form of a street, it might very well be intelligent like Danny. And, um, and so I don't know Danny's origin. I don't know if he was originally a normal street that then became intelligent, but I'd have to check that out. Maybe there's some uh, connectivity there. That's funny. <laughs> I
0: was thinking of puns, but <laughs> so yeah. So our uh, next comment comes from our uh, discussion of the episode Talons of Wing Chiang. Uh, Matthew slavin on YouTube writes: In the late 1990s, I had an opportunity to speak face to face with the director David Maloney and his wife Ooh. Edwina. I was very pleased since he had directed some enjoyable Doctor Who stories, Talons being my favorite. The Maloneys were warm and friendly. David seemed to genuinely enjoy discussing his work in Doctor Who in particular. Others were also engaged. Unfortunately, an immature questioner asked why the actor John Bennett had been chosen to play the character of Lee Sen Chang instead of a Chinese actor. David was clearly disappointed but patient with the criticism of his choice. He thought that Bennett was such a blessing for the show, his words, and so excellent an actor in the role that he couldn't have imagined another portraying the character as well. Almost as an aside, he mentioned they had sought out Asian actors at the time, but of those interviewed, none had the acting chops for such an important part, some ending up in smaller roles. I believe David mentioned the British actor Burt Kwok may have been up for the part, but that he was unavailable at the time. That's I agree too bad, with,
1: because Burt Kwok would be good, but the actor yeah. who they ended up casting
0: was really good. Yes, yep. yes. Um, I agree with David on his choice of Bennett and also with Jimmy's comment about the multidimensionality of Chang's character. On a side note, our children have always enjoyed this episode, and for a time, viewing it together was something of an event in our family. I may have to kickstart that tradition again this weekend. <laughs> Thanks for the episode and the memories. Cheers. So, uh, hey, that's thank awesome. Thank you very much. That's a great anecdote. Uh, getting to see the and talk to the people who make these stories is a great opportunity, and that's really cool that you got that. Um so. Well, it's interesting because, of course,
2: people think of going to see like a comic con and meeting the the actors, but getting to talk to the people who you know wrote it mm-hmm. or produced it or mm-hmm. made the decisions for it is incredible. You know, I mean that that in itself could be, uh, you know, story after story of mm-hmm. you know everything that went into it. Oh yeah, and then, you know, and then I can see where somebody like a producer is like, oh yeah, you you know, I made this story, and you you know, I hey, I'd love to talk to talk to you about mm-hmm. it. I'd much
1: rather talk to writers and and directors than actors. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, I might like to meet an actor and get their autograph, but if you ever listen to commentary tracks on DVDs, if you listen to the writer, director comment, producer commentary, it's way more interesting than the actor commentary. Yep. Yeah. The actor commentary is like, oh yeah, I remember this scene. We did this with the cameras. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
2: yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've heard some of those like that <laughs> galaxy quest kind of calls that out you yeah. know, a little bit where it does. the actors in there are kind of like, yeah, we just did our part.
0: <laughs> it stood on my mark. And I said my line, yep. uh, Ian Haygreen on YouTube writes, uh, Robert Holmes was an officer in the British Army in Burma during World War II. P- perhaps he came across the Golden Bridge out there. Yeah, the, well, maybe the concept. That, that's yeah. an interesting he might have. Uh, and then Jason Thayer on YouTube writes, uh, we should,
1: we we should explain that in, um, for people who don't remember in some Asian near death experiences, it's reported that people, instead of perceiving moving through a tunnel to the afterlife, they perceive crossing a bridge to the afterlife. So that's, and, and they had Lee Sin Chang, uh, having that, like, I'm crossing the the Golden Bridge now. And we were wondering, wow, I mean, near-death experiences were barely known in the West when this serial came out. How would they have, how would Robert Holmes have known about the Golden Bridge or did he, or is he just making this up? And so that's what that letter is about. It's explaining how he might have known
0: about it. Right. Right. Uh, and then Jason Thayer uh, commented on YouTube that uh, Leela on Futurama, the comic, the I mean, the animated show, is named after Leela from Doctor Who. So that's good to know. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you all for your feedback. We really do appreciate getting it. And uh, we'd like to take a moment now to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including Kevin B, Joseph D, Ben and Autumn B, Catherine M and Timothy P. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible possible for us to continue the secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. We'd love to know what you thought of the 14th Doctor's Stories, Liberation of the Daleks, and the Children in Need special, which you can watch after you've uh, finished the show by going to our, <laughs> our uh, show notes on our website. You can let us know how you, what you think about it by commenting at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page Send an email to Doctor Who at SQPN.com or visit the Starquest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. And as I mentioned, you can watch the secrets of Doctor Who on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash StarQuest Media. We'll be back next week when we'll be discussing, that's right, folks, the first of the 60th anniversary specials, Star the Star Beast. And until then. Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Well,
2: thank you, Dom. One quick thing: I was doing some research. The, the 2023 Children in Need special is also known as
0: Destination Scarl. Mm, very good, thank you. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thank you. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest, and remember, it's Raymond Daleks! hallelujah. <laughs>